I have a few questions in here. My first question is, thank you for enlightening us today. My question is in a faith practice where detachment from our, from our senses are key. Why did Buddha create a heaven from bright lapis stone? And why did people build such majestic temples around the world? Why do we have to spend so much resources to have our faith for full detachment? I think what the question is saying is, why do we, uh, why do we build why do we build a heaven? Why, does, why, does the, why did the Buddha build a heaven? Because we shouldn't be attached to, uh, to lapis stone, so beautiful a heaven. Um, why create something so beautiful? We shouldn't be attached to it. And then uh, why did people build majestic, magnificent temples using a lot of money? Um, are they not looking for detachment? Why do they attach to beauty things, beautiful things? Is that what the question is all about? <laughs> I think that's what the question is. If you want to build a place that attracts people, um, if you have a choice, now let's talk about rational thinking. If you have a choice of building a, a temple uh, or, or building a building to attract people to go over there to listen to you or to learn something from you, you have two choices. The first choice, you're going to build a dilapidated old hut with no landscaping, with just straw and timber and raw and very unattractive. Um, the wood is almost rotten. The grass is not growing because it, it, it takes money to, to grow good golf course grass. You know, it just takes money, right? And um, everything there is substandard. It's cheap. When people look at it, they will say, my house is even better than that one. Why do I have to go there to learn? They have no loudspeaker, they have no foot over there. I'm not going over there. My place is better. They're not going to go over there. That's their choice, right? The first choice. A simple old hut without anything in it. The next choice is a magnificent, fantastic building where you look at it from a distance because people are attracted by its beauty. People are attracted by the artistic outlook of it. And people are attracted by the landscaping. Where do you think would attract the most people? Of course, it's the majestic temple. When you're going to build the, the White Palace to represent America, you're not going to build an old house. You're going to build a fantastic palace, right? It's not a matter of money. It's a matter of what is the intention of building that house. That intention of building that building is to attract people to go over there, to listen to you, to learn. If you're building a university, UPC, you're going to build a university on a nice, beautiful campus with landscaping, good buildings, modern equipped buildings. And you can say, no, 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 we're not attached to modern uh, modernity. Uh, uh, we, we just, anything would do. In a mountain where, where there's no electricity, no water, it's cheap. It's returning to nature. But would people go over there? No. Because that's an expedient way of attracting people to go over there so that they will learn. It's just like when a kid is naughty, you want a kid to listen to you. You would say, hey Johnny, here's a candy, here's a cookie. And uh, uh, why don't you go over there to do this and do that? Then Sonny 
Johnny would certainly obey you and go over there because he likes the candy, he likes the cookies. But he would say, no, you shouldn't be attaching to these cookies and candies. Whatever I tell you to do, you just do it. You think Johnny and Sonny is going to do it for you? He's not. Because you are enticing that person to do something better. You're being compassionate to him by, by going his way first. And then you tell him, this is wrong, this is right. So that's, an ex that's on the rational thinking. You're going to create a center of attraction. A center that would get people over there to listen to you. Good cause would give rise to good effects. And bad cause would give rise to bad effects. When you're always donating, when you're always giving out, when you're always benefiting others, imagine that's the cause. The effect would be you enjoy the fullest of things. You enjoy resources, you enjoy riches, because you have germinated the cause of resourcefulness. If you have germinated all these good deeds, cultivated causes of resourcefulness, you realize resourcefulness effect. If you cultivate seeds of poverty, you don't want to give, you don't want to give charity, you don't want to be compassionate, you just want to keep all the money to yourself, you don't want to help others, this is the cause of poverty. Then you're going to wind up in lack of resources. So in other words, the Buddha has done so much, so many good deeds that whatever he creates will be creation of beauty, will be creation that attracts people, will be creation that would make people happy. He won't, it wouldn't be a poor, a poor hut that nobody would go to because it's just natural. It naturally would be like that. And also, it does not mean that they're attached to money. Sometimes it's not the money. The money is just a medium of exchange. Money just buys stuff that you can build. But forgetting the medium of exchange, if you have cultivated these good causes, good effects will come out. Flowery, uh, flower results. Results of resourcefulness, results of longevity. You can say, why, don't you why do you attach to longevity? You attach to a long life. Well, short life would do because you don't want to be greedy about long life. No, because you have cultivated good causes in living long. You don't kill animals for food. You protect animals, you save animals, and this is good cause automatically it reaches you to longevity. Because you don't have that mind of killing, of injury to others. Automatically, you'll come up to longevity effect. So, it's not that um, we want to detach from, from good luck. Uh, you, you want detachment, why do you build so much, so, spend so much money? Money is, you, you're attaching to the, to the importance of money. It's not the money, it's what we want to create. It's what we want to create. We never worry about money because people would come and help you if you have that creativity, if you have that yearning for beauty that entices people to come over here. On the one hand, you want to say, beauty is the most important. Why do you want to hate this world? Beauty comes from the look. You don't want to attach to the look, but the look is required to attract people to come to you. That's an expedient means. 
Um, on the other hand, when we look at this approach, we'll have to look at two, from two perspectives. The first perspective is, you want to spend money and resources to build a good temple it, so, can, it, so that it can benefit others. So this perspective is from the other's approach, not from yourself. I'm not doing it for my own enjoyment. I'm not saying I'm going to go do a beautiful temple for my own enjoyment. No, I want to build this beautiful temple, not, not for me. It's for all these people who like beauties, who like to come because of its beauty and creativity. That's from the other's approach. If I want to build something from my personal approach, I would say a hut would do. I would, I would go up to the mountain, I would just do a straw hut, simple life, and I'm meditating over there, no attachment. This is for me. I can be frugal. I don't want to spend any money. I don't need any money. But if I want to do something to give people, to rent out to people, I want to rent out as much as possible. None of this belongs to me. It's from the public. If it's from the public, it goes back to the public. It doesn't go to me. I don't own it. I don't even own my body. So if I go practice detachment, I go up to the mountain all by myself, maybe in a cave. I don't need any luxury, and I can meditate. No attachment. I detach myself. But if I want a gift, I've got to have something to give out. I've got to have all kinds of resources, resources of the whole world centered in me so that I can give it out, continuously giving. You see the difference? If you don't see the difference, raise your hand. So everybody see the difference. Okay, so I'll answer this question. Next question. Why believe that there is a suffering world when there is so much beauty with our world, our culture and our human beings? Does, doesn't this hope to escape to a reality world, make us not to be in a, in a moment of now. When we say this world is full of suffering, we are telling you a fact. Um, beauty is another aspect of it. The whole world is, when we look at the whole world, autumn, spring, every flower, every tree, every grass, it's all beauty. It's a radiation of love, radiation of compassion. But, this world is a world of suffering. People are dying. People are dying from sickness. People are bedridden for 12 years. As I said, just mentioned in, in, in the, uh, at the Q&A, a doctor, a, a person lying in bed for 12 years and what, what, what he's got is just a bottle of liquid for lunch and dinner. And you don't, you don't call that suffering? He wanted to tell us that I want to die. I don't want this is world of suffering. I don't want to, I, I, I've been here 12 years and I want to die. I cannot die. You don't call that suffering? That's a fact. Aging is suffering. Maybe if you're young, you don't know yet. When your machine is due, when you're 50 and over, you will know that you need a lot of repair and maintenance. You will know that all these different pieces, they just drop apart. The functionality is not there anymore. You can walk that fast, your hormones is not balanced, and, and, your, and, your, and your bones are not growing well. Your, your recovering period is longer. Lots of problems when you're getting old. Aging, sickness, death, 
and also insatiable desires. You always have desires that you cannot fulfill. And um, sorrowfulness arises from departure of beloved ones. Your mom passed away, your dad passed away, your beloved one passed away, and you grieve. You're grief-stricken for years. You don't call that suffering. You cry. And living with hated ones. You live with your husband, or you live with your wife, but you don't like each other. You just want a family to be together. You don't want the kids to split apart. You don't want a broken home, but you're always living with a husband you don't love, you don't like. Always arguing, and you're, you're always planning for a divorce. Nobody cares. Every, every day, every evening you go home, you don't, you don't like your home. You want to be at the workplace. You don't call that suffering? You thought you called it a beauty? Oh, this is a beautiful world. Sure, the world is beautiful when you are in the right mood. When you're in the right, not in the right mood, I don't think you call that world beauty. It's the mind. It's your mind. Apart from that, everything is beautiful. The sun, the moon, the grass, the spring, autumn, the snow, the birds. Nothing is not beautiful. Everything is beautiful when it is detached. When it is free from detachment. When a bird is singing without attachment, the song is free. And when you listen to it, you don't have any detachment. The song enters your heart and you are free. But if the bird is free and singing a beautiful song to you and your mind is sorrowful, you think it's a beauty? It's not. Because you're so much attached to the grief. So it's two things. And you can say, okay, the world is suffering, um, but I want to live well. I want to live happily in spite of all these sufferings. Right, that's a good approach. You don't want to submerge yourself in the sorrowfulness of suffering that you can't function anymore. You've got to move on. Life has to move on. You want to move on. You want to put on your knapsacks and you walk the path again. You stumble, you fall, you walk on. That's what a Buddhist approach is. You stumble, you fall, get up again and you walk. But you really fall, fell down. You stumble, you fell. But your approach should be positive. The Buddhists take a very positive approach to life. They want to face all these confrontations, experience it, get the experience and move on to practice. In the process of practicing, you experience a lot of drawbacks, a lot of blockages, but you overcome them. You try to move on and on. You don't want to escape from this reality world. You're not escaping. You are analyzing the facts, and you know that there's a world of suffering. And when, you, when this body leaves you, you don't want to be in here again. If you're always born, if you are born in an in inferno, say that you are a baby born in an inferno, you have never seen heaven, then you don't know there's a place called heaven. And you accept the suffering in hell. But if people tell you, you got to watch out, this are actually suffering, and you say, no, I love these sufferings, then you, never get, you can never get out. This suffering is a beauty. How can you get out? Telling you 
that this suffering is not an escapade from, the, from hell, from prison. You got to go out, go out of prison. Why is not to, in the moment of now? We are in the moment of now. Every moment we enjoy it. When we practice meditation, we see, we are here and now. Every moment we enjoy it. Every moment is freed of wandering thought. That's what we call living in the, in the present moment. If your present moment is greediness, hatred, fear, violence, you like the present moment? You've got to know what your present moment is. The present moment has, has to be the mo moment of peace. You live in that moment of peace and you want to enjoy that right now, the here and the now. When you're meditating, you're free from all these wandering thoughts. You're free from impurities. You're practicing purity and that moment is good. But if you go out there and you live in the greediness world, you're submerged in the greediness and you call that present moment your good moment, Maybe you're in a party, and that party is a, is a crazy party, and you find it lovable. You say, I am in this present moment. I want, I don't want, to, I want to live in the, this present moment. I can do what I want. The present moment is love. It's, you name it, I don't want to say it. You want to live in that present moment? That present moment is a moment of suffering. Okay, that answers the question. If a person is in hospital and is being helped to stay alive with mechanical means, like a breathing machine, is it an act of suicide if a person requires that the machine be turned off? If the patient wants to turn it off, he does not want to live anymore. Remind you, mind you, that is suffering. Who eh? <laughs> called it that suffering? Um, you can't say this is not suffering. This is suffering. He wants to go. He does not want to live anymore. And there are many cases like that in hospitals. I don't know. You have to ask. We have to consider it from many angles. Legally, can you just... Who, who is going to take that plug off? If he himself take it off without anybody noticing, that is called committing suicide, I guess. Um, if you take it off for him, you are doing homicide. So I don't know. There's so many issues involved. When a loved one is close to death but is clinging so much to life, worry about his spouse, how can I help this person? You have to explain it to him about detachment. You have to slowly explain to him why he's got involved in what he's experiencing now. It's karma that, that got him in this situation. Um, there's so much explaining to do. So that's what we've been doing. That's what Lee's been doing, going to hospitals, right? Explaining to dying patients about that. And we find it to be quite significant, quite, quite useful. Yeah. So uh, you have to, not just one time you will be successful in explaining it to him or her, you have to go there regularly and explain it to, uh, to her about detachment. Is there room for randomness, chance, or accident in the universe, or are, the, uh, or are our present lives determined by our previous existences, fate, or other present thoughts? So what you are saying is, is there any randomness, that is, things come without cause, suddenly it comes, it just comes like that. There's nothing that comes without a cause. There must be a reason for it. The fact that you... Husband and wife comes together in this life, 
they must have some unfinished business previous lives. Some love each other, some dislike each other, some love each other for five years, some, some got divorced after 25 years. The, the, it, nothing comes without reason, without cause. So mind your cause. Cultivate good causes. You must cultivate good causes. Nothing comes in random. Randomness, I think, by definition, means without any reason it comes. No. An accident comes with reason. Either you are drunken driving, or the other guy is drunken driving, or you don't tune up your car, or the road is somehow constructed in a hazardous way, or because of the weather, or because you are, you, because you are sleepy, or because you are on drugs, under drugs, among the intoxication. There must be a reason. You have to mind your reason. Be careful. With, be, so the Buddha said to us that be careful with causes. Don't breed the wrong cause in your mind. Don't think about how do I rip this person off? How do I get revenge? How do I get more from him? How do I push them out? How do I tell telling about him? So you've got to have the right cause. Always cultivate meritorious considerate, compassionate cause in your mind. No evil cause. Don't cultivate, don't keep any evil cause in your mind. Be careful with every thought. That's meditation. Meditation is train yourself up with every thought coming up. 